creeds and criticism meet. of reference podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Split Frame of Reference podcast. I'm your co-host Nick. And I'm Allison. And what are we doing today, Allison? Oh, what fun and wonder we are doing today, Nick. Uh-huh. Um, so a couple things. One, we'll do our kind of miscellaneous thing that we do, um, which I will get back to. I'm going to save it for last because it's so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go through 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16. Okay. And then we're going to maybe have a little bit of a general discussion on it. And then we're going to do recommendations. Okay. So what was that thing you skipped? Because my stomach just churned when you skipped yes, it. Yes, and as it should. Yeah. So I have had to suffer by... And other people have noticed my suffering. Well, I mean, he's on my side. He drinks wine. Like, he's on I my side. I don't mind wine. But anyways... <sighs> I have had to do beer tastings, and I have nuanced taste in no beer, and I hate it. No one forced you to do beer tastings. You do all the time. You no. give me sad eyes, and it's sad tradition, eyes isn't and forced. I can't resist it. That's how you married me. I gave you sad eyes, and you finally anyway, said you're, yes. Anyway, okay. <laughs> you're stalling. So we're going to do bean mm. boozled. Yay! <sighs> jelly beans. So, um... <laughs> Nick, Explain my... this form of actual torture to me right now. Yes. So you were each going to eat a jelly bean, and it could be something wonderful and delightful. And mm-hmm. I love jelly beans. I hate jelly beans. Or it could be something horrific. Ugh. So it could be, let's see, the orange ones could be barf, could be peach. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a great distinction right there. Peaches already taste like barf. <laughs> the blue could be toothpaste or berry blue. That's not so that's bad. That's actually see, not See, I have bad. one good one in there. Well, it's yeah, anyway. Um, the green ones, it could be juicy pear. Oh, that's not bad. Or it could be booger. Uh, that is kind of bad. Yep. And so there's actually no guarantee that we're... It, so if he gets the juicy pear, I mm-hmm. could get the um, juicy pear too. Or or we both get booger, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically open theism at work here. We, we have no idea what the future holds, and it doesn't look very good for anyone. Yep. So, so I'm getting my revenge. You go first. Let's do the orange one. So... All right. Peach or barf? Profanity may ensue. I'm sorry, Mom. Nope. Nope. We no got to take them at the same time. If we're going to do this stupid-ass game, we have, <laughs> we, we, we have to take them together. Are you ready? All right. All right. Uh, bring this bowl here in case one of us needs to spit. <laughs> okay. Right. One, two, three. Ah! Oh. Yeah! Oh! oh. Why? Yeah. Beer, where's my Where's my beer? Yeah. Where's my beer? Oh, uh, you know what the... Oh, oh that was... Oh, you know, give me that beer. No. No, I no. need it. No, give me my beer. Damn, I won't give my beer back. Oh, man. What was... Yeah, poor us. Okay. Well, I hope only you... Well, it's toothpaste, so who who cares? Well, all maybe, right. maybe it'll clean blue. out. All right, so... Blue. All right, jelly bean round number two. Uh, berry blue or toothpaste. All right. You know what? It's toothpaste and it's minty fresh. It's toothpaste and minty fresh. I'm still going to drink my beer because I hate jelly beans. So we're both getting the bad ones? So far. Yeah. Whoa, be- this be- really tastes like toothpaste. Wow, yeah. Toothpaste and IPS do not go to... I don't mind. You know what? I should have saved this one for last in case we yeah. both get... Okay. All right, now, the final one. Booger or juicy pear? Hold on. 
You're reversing them. Yes, I am. No. Oh. All right. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, uh, what the heck? You were supposed to suffer alone. <laughs> I'm keeping my beer over here. You can run to the oh. kitchen if you want. Oh. You brought this upon yourself, woman. You brought this upon yourself. That tastes just like booger, too. Oh, okay. Oh. Oh, gosh. Okay, okay, okay. It's still there. Give me the beer. We gotta get through the podcast. Alright, so we both came out losers in that. None of us got the tasty treat. See, see, when we do beer tasting, at least one of us comes out to be the winner. Like, right here, we're both losers. You know what? Then So that's kind of a little side victory for me, because at least you suffer. Even if if I drag you down with me, at least someone else is suffering with me. But, 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 I've won. I've actually won here. You want to know why? Why? You drank my beer. Happily. Ah. Yep. You had to get the taste of, was it, barf out of your mouth? You drank <laughs> Stone Ruination Double IPA, which is actually All not right, too well, bad. Well, I will give it to you. Um, I definitely like beer better than barf or booger. Um, although, although, I would prefer the toothpaste. Although, toothpaste and beer actually isn't very good together. I would prefer the toothpaste and not have the beer. Anyway, thank Jeez. you for totally doing this that okay wonderful yes. all right so, so segue segue awkward segue all yeah. right so what is on our schedule allison all right so yes doing our passage first corinthians 11 2 through 16 starting with Ugh. you hmm? you start oh i start okay yeah, first corinthians 11 2 through 16 all right so nick will start our 2 through 16 with uh two through six and we're going to actually be reading from Philip Payne's translation in his book. Yep. All right. The word of Holy Scripture according to Paul. Verse 2. I praise you for remembering me regularly in everything and for holding to the traditions as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the source of every man is Christ, and the source of woman is Adam, and the source of Christ is the Godhead. Every man who prays or prophesies with effeminate hair hanging down from his head disgraces himself. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head hanging down loose disgraces herself, for she is one and the same as her who is shaved. For if a woman does not do her hair up, let her have her hair cut off. But But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or shaved, let her do her hair up. Verse 2 through 6. All right. All right. So this is kind of the... Easiest and hardest part, because there's only a few issues I actually have to tackle in this section. Well, and here's the thing, too. Um, if you go read other Bible translations, you're going to get something uh, different as well. So um, this is this is actually, as a passage, one of the most tricky ones. And um, Not even in the gender debate, just period, in the yeah, Bible. Yeah, just period, yeah. yeah. But even if, like, let's say there's nothing about the gender debate um, that people gravitated towards, mm-hmm. this would still not necessarily be the verse that you want to base doctrine off of. Not that you should ever base... There are whole monographs written on this text. So. Oh, and you'll see what wonders are in store. All right, so I'll go through a few issues of the passage, kind of overall, and then I'll go into two through six, right? Okay. All right, so the issue of this passage, is this a veil or is it hair? That's a huge debate. Is it source, head? Is head source, preeminence, or authority, or some form thereof? Is this a husband and wife, or is it male and female? Same word. Is this an interpolation? Which, that's easy. No, it isn't. There's no textual evidence for it. So, that 
that's not actually an true. interpolation is an addition yeah it, it, that's a huge interpol that's a huge addition to the text if it is an interpolation but that can be set aside that's irrelevant so is this a veil or hair is it source of preeminence or authority or is this husband and wife or male and female and what are the implications here uh, if it's uh, husband and wife or male and female, then this can kind of be uh, subsumed under a household code, like Ephesians 5 or one or uh, Colossians 3. And a lot of people take this whole this whole thing to be another reiteration of um, the husband or male authority over uh, over women, yeah, um, both in the home and in the church. Yeah, or or even men who are, uh, I believe, favorable to women in ministry. I think it was E. or Ellis. Uh, single women are free to be pastors of churches, but this text and other texts are about wives, and wives are to be submissive to their husbands. Although and not some to be people masters. think it's entirely church because the context isn't a church. So yeah. there's there's also, as you can tell, there's already so many issues. That it are is coming the up. most difficult text to translate in the entire New Testament, and, yep. and no translation does it 100%. That's why I nope. tend to stick with the CEB, and even they kind of don't do it perfectly. So anyway, okay, so starting at verse 2, I and I'm just going to use the CEB as my frame of reference. So you can get some variety. Yeah. So I praise you because you remember all my instructions and you hold to the traditions exactly as I handed them over. That's paradokin. So basically Paul What's is... What's paradokin? Uh, it's a Greek verb, handing over. Give, Paul has given them to them, given these instructions to them. So he has to reiterate something that clearly they have either messed up or they need clarification on. Remember, 1 Corinthians already has this sort of kind of mentality of Paul's writing a response to certain people about either questions or problems. Yeah, and you remember um, when we did 1 Corinthians 7, yep. we talked about some of the problems. Um, what were some of the problems that we saw? Sexuality was a huge one. Sexuality, uh, sexual immorality, um, incest. You had in earlier chapters stuff on um, effeminate men and uh, homosexuality. You had uh, gluttony and gr so basically, it's kind of the worst avarice of, of it's basically a, a, a back alley in Vegas. Basically. And then there were even like people that just decided, um, well, we just we're going to be more holy and just not have sex with our husband or wife. Yeah, which I mean, that doesn't make you more holy. That just makes you. Yeah. So there's a whole host cruel. of things. Yeah. So yeah, so that's what Paul's kind of writing into, and so what he says here, now, and this is the CEB. Now I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man, or Adam. And the head of Christ is God. So whole articles and huge sections of books are on this one verse. What does head mean? There's stuff about Christ, but it's kind of irrelevant. The head of the man is uh, the woman is the man. That's kind of irrelevant. And the head of Christ is God. That's a huge one. It's a favorite subordinationist text in the early church where Christ is kind of God or not God, but kind of a mediator between God and man or kind of a, an agent of God, not equal with the father, essentially. Right. And so that sets off a huge issue. So and maybe kind of like, um, almost like, so you have God and then this is more of a, a created lowercase God. You have a form the of Arians yeah, an Arianism, of. or you have an issue of Christ is equivalent to God, but in function, he's uh, under God. And then you have something where, but then you have functionality and ontology, which get kind of blurred. And essentially you have another form of neo-Arianism and stuff like that. So this is a favorite text for uh, for a lot of subordinationist Christology. Well, okay. And in the evangelical debate, there is a, um, I think it entails heresy, but um, not that people that hold to this are heretics. No. Um, they believe that um, in authority, inherently in, a, in authority, um, Jesus is subordinate to the father and by implication women everywhere are subordinate yeah to and they so connect they do that extra analogy. thing to connect the two which historically the two arguments were kept separate but yep yeah yeah the early church i think uh was very clear to say yeah women are subordinate to men 
but Christ is not eternally or even necessarily functionally subordinate to the Father. You get it in Cyril of Alexandria and even John Chrysostom. Yep. So they do draw a distinction. Nowadays, you don't have that distinction. But the, the main issue is what does head mean? Does it mean source? Does it mean origin? Does it mean authority over preeminence or prominent part? Um, I vacillate between preeminence and prominent and source or point of origin. In this text, I suspect it's uh, a form of source if you take Paul affirming something like the incarnation, uh, the preexistence of Christ. And especially when you get into my section. Yeah, and your section kind of really brings it out. But with this text, uh, the head of every man is Christ. So Christ, as already talked about in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, is the creator. And so uh, all men, technically, if you want to be fine about it, as Paul is, all men come through Christ and the head of the woman is the man. So Adam is the source of Eve. Uh, you don't get this really explicated until later on. And the head of Christ is God. And then you get into the issue of, say, eternal generation. You get into the issue of Christ as the incarnate one from God. And then you also have the issue of synecdoche or uh, Cynthia Westfall makes this point that um, uh, that um, kephale here, that's head, as we talked about in our section on Ephesians 5. You have the issue of Christ being, uh, or her rendering kephale as kind of face or presence of something. So kind of the, out, not the uh, outward exterior, but something that represents. And so that's kind of what's going on here. So, And so we could spend whole hours talking about what uh, kephale or head means. But let, let's get into the text. Uh, so that's verse 3. So verse 4, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered shames his head. And uh, what we need to realize with this text is, and this is where we get into the question of veil versus hair. And that's the big debate that's going on between say, Gordon Fee and Philip Payne, that's a huge debate. And so, from my opinion, I, I think this is about hair, because I think that's clearly what Paul's talking about in verse 14, which Allison will get into later. But for uh, the sake of evidence, uh, we'll talk about what, quickly, uh, a man who covers or shames his head. And so, uh, long hair on a man in the ancient world was a sign of either effeminacy or, or shame and stuff like that. So I'm going to read a quick Jewish text uh, Pseudophocalides, it's concur about concurrent with the time of Paul, probably. And this is from uh, actually an early household code. So this will be 207 to uh, 212. And I quote, Do not be harsh with your children, but be gentle. And if a child offends you, let the mother cut her son down to size, or let the elders of the family or the chiefs of the people. If a child is a boy who does not let locks grow on his head, do not braid his crown nor the cross knots on the top of his head. Long hair is not fit for boys, but for voluptuous women. And so we get a sense in which hair is kind of a, a, a gender distinction or a gender difference that's kind of representative of what it means in the ancient world to be a man or a woman. Yeah, and this seems to be a little bit more, it seems to be like long hair hanging down. Yeah, it's, it's hair that hangs or it's hair that versus hair that is done up. D hair done up is proper. It's... Uh, pristine, it's more respected. A hair let down seems to signify, at least in the ancient world, uh, kind of cultic kind of uh, connotations, or I think you mentioned earlier, temple prostitution perhaps, or the Dionysiac cult, which would let their hair down and then engage in orgies. And this is, um, I'm thinking, just very long hair. This isn't like... Yeah. It's, um, it's not willy no it's not like It wouldn't be like neck. the Jesus long hair. Oh, good lord. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, this is a, ancient Greece. Try so. watching a Jesus movie now with that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. In that context, long hair on a man is considered effeminate. Uh, on a woman, it means she's probably sexually available. Michael Bird makes this point in his book. Uh, I can't actually pronounce the title. My English isn't very good. But Bourgeois Babes, I think, is the precursor title. And Philip Payne makes this point uh, very extensively. 
And so when a, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered shames his head. So that's probably a reference to long hair shaming himself. And then verse 5, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered disgraces her head. It is the same thing as having her head shaved or looking like a man, probably the head shaved aspect. Most men, men grow bald. I'm going bald. Well, and okay, the shaving of a woman's head is a sign of disgrace. Like oh, you have disgraced yep. or but usually by disobedience. Yeah. And so that's when they shave your head, your hair off. Yep. And so uh, he's saying it's like it's the same thing as though the hair is shaved off for a woman. Yeah. And what what's interesting about this text, verse five, is that it assumes that women can pray and prophesy in church. It doesn't talk about them being subordinate. It doesn't talk about them being excluded from this or them being under an authority. It basically, if she doesn't do this, then she's like this. But Paul assumes here that women are already equal participants in the church. And that's something to keep in mind. And so verse six, really quick, if a woman doesn't cover her head, then she should just have her hair cut off. It, if it is disgraceful for a woman to have short hair or to be shaved, then she should keep her head covered. And a lot of this, Allison will kind of tie up with a nice little bow. But the main point I think Paul is getting at is women are to maintain a, a, a dis, basically be what God made them to be. So the idea of gender distinction or complementarity, not complementarianism, but complementarity. Long hair is what distinguishes a woman back in the day. Yep. Well, yes. And yep. it's long hair done up in bra elaborate braids. Yep. Um, it's not loose hair because that's considered bad because then yep. you look like a temple prostitute. Yeah, it's proper, properly done up and stuff like that. So. Yeah, but a man, um, they said that's how a woman should should wear her hair, but yep. a man should not have the long hair of a woman that's yep. done up in elaborate braids. Yep. He's a man. <laughs> yeah, it's essential. What Paul, is, Paul assumes here two. Paul assumes two things in this text. He assumes that men and women are equal participants in prophecy. And he also assumes the, an ancient physiology of a woman's hair being es essentially essential to her being a woman. And uh, for a man to adopt that look or that style. It's an expression. Yeah. Yeah. It's a feminine expression yep. in that day. Yeah. And so that's essentially my section. Uh, Allison, uh, Paul's argument really kind of capitulates and kind of works together or recapitulates and works together. And that begins in verse seven with Allison's section. So yeah. okay, I turn to you. So, I'm still um, mad at yeah. you for the, be for the jelly beans. I'm still <laughs> well, mad at you. Well, as you should. Yeah. As you should. All right. And I will revel in your tears and your sorrow. Yes. <laughs> I will drink more beer while you do that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just recapping a little bit. Um, it seems as though, again, and I think one of the problems of today is that people want to just try to erase gender distinctions mm -hmm. um, in the name of equality or or they want to go way the other way and say and overemphasize difference to mean that suddenly there's this hierarchy in roles that have to do with leadership. Men don't have long hair, therefore they can be pastors. Yeah, and something yeah. that the Bible does seem to consistently say um, is that there is gender distinction and it's something wonderful. Yeah. Um, it also, in our view, seems to be consistent that men and women are supposed to co-lead. Co yeah. Um, here, it seems as though um, Paul's trying to get at um, men should not try to replace women with men um, or being a man, and women should not try to undermine men in their own way. Yeah. So let me go ahead and get into my section. I'll go ahead and read um, all the way through, and then I will go ahead and go back and read through certain sections and comment on them. So I'm going to do 7 through 16. 
And this is from Payne's translation. Yeah, from Payne's okay. translation. For a man ought to... Oh, okay. For a man ought not to display effeminate hair, since he is the image and glory of God. The woman is the pride and joy of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. On account of this, the woman ought to have control over her hair, by doing it up modestly, on account of the angels. However, the crucial thing is that woman is not set apart from man, nor is man set apart from woman in the Lord. For as a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But all of this is from God. Judge within yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her hair let down? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? This is because long hair is given her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious, we, the churches of God, have no such custom. Though already interesting. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and backtrack and reread to you. I'll go through seven to nine. Yeah, that's, and then kind I'll of, make some, that's yeah. considered a unit. Yeah. And we're trying to be very careful with this um, because it's such a complex passage. And the more we go, and we'll even go backwards and explain some of the complexities. The rabbit hole goes very deep on yeah. this text. So, okay. For a man ought to not display effeminate hair, since he is the image and glory of God. The woman is the pride and joy of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Okay, so just a quick commentary. Um, actually, it's not going to be quick because this is going to be horribly long and complicated. Okay, so what it's not saying here, um, and there have been people that have um, in various ways. I went to a church and I heard this. The pastor gave this um, prompt-to sermon before the wedding, and in it he was telling... Um, uh, the woman that and the man and the man that were, was getting married that um, men were the ones that were made in the image of God and women were supposed to reflect men. No, no. <laughs> um, in the Bible, both men and women are made in God's image. It is not saying that only men are made in God's image, and this is so important. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just read it for you in Genesis one. 27 through 31. God created humanity in God's image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Hmm. And then he also gives them the plants, the wildlife, and calls it all good. So... All this to say, and if you hear us saying humanity, sometimes instead of Adam, it's because Adam is actually used as inclusively of humanity as well as a proper name for Adam later yeah, in it's Genesis. Like, it's like anthropos, meaning male and female, or men and women, or brothers and sisters. Yeah, so just just a heads up. Um, <laughs> that's another confusion point in the um, First Corinthians passage as well. Um, but yeah, so there we see it. They're both made in God's image. They're both told to rule the earth, basically together um so that takes care of that um the big message here though in our passage in first corinthians is that men should not dress like women and women um shouldn't um, dress in inappropriate ways either and why um we're actually taken back to genesis too so um i'll go ahead and read a section to you 
All right, so our passage in 1 Corinthians was talking about woman being the glory of man and mm -hmm. man not being the glory of woman. Well, now we're going to go to Genesis uh, 2 where it actually talks about that. We just came off of, um, in the Genesis passage, Adam being lonely. Um, he's got the animals, but it's they're not what he needs. So we're going to go to 2.21. So the Lord God put the human into a deep and heavy sleep and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh over it. With the rib taken from the human, the Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the human being. The human said, This one finally is bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because the man, because a man she was taken, because from a man she was taken. This is the reason that a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. The two of them were naked, the man and his wife, but they were not embarrassed. So... What, he, what you have here is um, Adam basically glorying in his, his, new, his new wife, Eve. Um, all throughout, it's um, Adam's being used as a kind of more human generic term. But then he, there's distinction that suddenly happens in that passage. And we'll have to go into this in more detail another time when we do Genesis. But basically, he says, uh, she will be called woman. That's Isha. Because from a man, she was taken. Um, man is ish. So basically the woman is what the man is, except with the feminine ending. But there you see in that whole passage, similarity is emphasized. Yeah. Um, but within that similarity, within that unity, even one flesh unity and that uh, one fleshness, um, we have diversity. Mm -hmm. And that's gender distinction right there. Yeah. All right, so what, basically what we have is Adam delighting in Eve and delighting in this difference. Um, he's excited that there's a help corresponding to him that's arrived finally to rescue him from his loneliness hmm. and rule beside him. Um, we'll have to go through this another time, but helper does not mean assistant as it does in English. Um, God is the helper of Israel, um, oftentimes in a military context. Um, suffice it to say, um, she's someone that's coming, finally coming alongside him, someone that can match him. And he's excited about it. Um, so how, what does this uh, mean for our passage? Um, basically, both men and women have inherent value and worth because they're made in the image of God. Um, but as basically representatives of God and with our calling to be formed in God's character comes responsibility. And we see this a little bit about being renewed in the image of our creator in Colossians 3, 10 through 11. Um, so... Basically, yes, we're both made in God's image, but this comes um, with this does not come without strengths. Like we're supposed to also be living into this. Yeah. Um, whether we're preaching and prophesying in church, um, we both need to be respectful of each other. Um, women don't dress like temple prostitutes in the name of liberation. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it might take a little something on a different um, character now because we don't really deal with temple prostitution much. Not not in California, although in New York, I hear that. Well, got some stuff <laughs> um, but, you know, really. So I think a good way to think of it in our day is um, I think for women, it is um, covering up um, some areas. It's um, not it's dressing modestly, depending on your culture. Um, it's not um, trying to flaunt your sexual liberation um, and saying and, and conflating it with God's message. Um, it's being respectful to you as God's um, image. Yeah, a major point also, uh, Gordon Fee makes this point in relation to the mutuality that 
seven through nine takes on because this is often a subordinationist passage too for, yeah. for men and women I, when i first read it i never understood it that way it never made any sense to me but gordon fee says um paul probably means that the existence of the one brings honor and praise to the other mm. by creating man in his own image god set his own glory in man yet man by himself is not complete without a companion one who is like him but different from him when he's uniquely his own glory man glories in her paul's point is that in the creation era, this does not happen the other way around. And that's in Anthony Thistleton's 1,200-page yeah. commentary. Yeah. Which I'll set aside because it's very heavy. Yeah, so basically we ha we do have a, be a beautiful mutuality and mutual respect for the other. Um, and I think, so for the men, because we, we talked about women, but for the men, um, the message here, and again, these are he's addressing specific issues here, you know. Yeah. Um, don't dress like a woman if you're a man. Um, and the context of this is the glory of a man is not a man. It's a woman because hmm. women were made for men, not in terms of being their slaves or their servants, um, but in terms of being the one that's best suited to match them. Well, and, they're the mutual counterpart. Yeah. yeah. And not just in marriage, but in church and even society. Yeah. Um, part of being made in God's image is embracing the other as your glory. Yeah. Um, as your point of origin even if we go back to yeah we'll get there <laughs> yeah yeah so all right so let's i think i feel confident enough to move on to verse 10 oh good lord this passage i'd rather <laughs> have a jelly bean than talk about this this verse oh yes let's see okay on account of this the woman let's see uh, okay let me try again on account of this the woman ought to have control over her hair by doing it up modestly on account of the angels. Yeah, I have no idea what the hell that means. Yep, you heard it. Yep. Um, because of the angels. And all of this, this um, complex reasoning about why some people should wear elaborate braids up, done up over the head. And why men shouldn't. Um, it's because of the angels. Yeah, yep. it's all about the angels, apparently, guys. Like... I have no. I still don't know what the angels are. That's one of those verses I think most people are just kind of. Well, eh, okay. we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. Yeah. Anyways, don't want to distract. Okay, so verse eleven. Yeah, it's only the point of the whole passage, but anyway. <laughs> um. So verse eleven. However, the crucial thing is that woman is not set apart from man, nor is man set apart from woman in the Lord. All right. So. Verse eleven. Yep. Basically, they're made for each other. Um, we're not meant to be apart in God's community. Um, God's vision is more of an interdependence, not separation. Um, this means that there's no gender barriers in terms of things that we artificially construct and want to put in the way, um, usually against the other. Um, but it also means that we don't pretend we don't need the other person. Yeah, and this is Paul's kind of conclusion to the whole thing. So yeah. it'd be weird if he started off with some sort of male hierarchy over women when he just turns around and says oh yeah by the way y'all need each other super independently and you can't have one without the other and it's like wait what so it kind of throws any subordinationist reading just kind of out the window when you get to this text and that's something most commentators actually stumble over they're like oh well okay yeah interesting and a lot of people unfortunately a lot of um women now because of some of the things that they have actually had to go through hmm. are bitter and they're taking this attitude of i don't need a man and, you know, I'm sorry, but we, we need each other. Um, we are interdependent. We need yeah. each other. Yeah. And that's a reality that both men and women should recognize about how God views the world and 
um, creation and even how things should happen in the church. God didn't give dominion over creation to the man only or to the woman only. He gave it to both of them in Genesis. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's funny. Like, Augustine thought that the best um, partner for a man in terms of um, someone he could be friends with and um, collaborate with was another man. That actually sounds like ancient. That's that's actually very common. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's ancient. That's ancient reasoning. Like, uh, yeah. the whole issue also was uh, the only the best sexual partner for a man is another man. And so Paul's reasoning here essentially slaps that in the face and says, no, a woman is a perfect counterpart to a man intellectually, spiritually, physiologically. Yeah. Everything kind of works together. And so the idea that, so basically Paul is undercutting essentially Greco-Roman society at the knee right here. Yeah. Which is really fascinating. Yeah. And he's also kind of covering his base too to say um, for women that maybe they were sick of this kind of treatment, um, wanting to go way the other way. And um, because in the Dionysius cult too, um, women that were prophesying did let their hair down. Yep. Um, and so essentially they're trying to replicate that. They want to show and and the part of the prophecy was also a kind of a sexual thing in that cult. So they're they're trying to show kind of their sexual liberation but also in a context of prophecy and Paul's just not going to happen. As often happen. what happens in church too. People come into the church bringing baggage. They yeah. they bring in their culture, their ideas, their their upbringing, their experiences. And it's not as if that immediately goes away when you find Jesus. In fact, that that's often a really long, hard process of being in Christ and kind yeah. of forsaking what you originally were in terms of your experience and your ideas of what life was meant to be. And that's what Paul's saying here is, no, you don't get to bring your sexual immorality into the church. You don't get to bring your separationism. You don't get to bring your male hierarchy into the church. No, that's not in the church. That's not what it means to be in the Lord. Yeah. It's, it's not what it means to be an image bearer. That's yep. for sure. Um, and again, this can take different cultural forms. Um, the, the, the women having um, braid, elaborate braids done up over the head. Um, some people think this is a veil or like a cloth over the head. Um, it's probably not. It's probably the elaborate braids over the head. You can look at Philip Payne's book on that. Um, no one actually tries to follow that custom nowadays. No. Um, they opt for another one. Um, if it is a cloth over the head, I think there's some um, photos where someone drapes a toga over their head um, to show authority. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it, you'll, you'll have to read some of these complexities, but it's... The yeah. message, I think, is out there. We can't do 100 pages in 30 minutes. Yeah. Nope. That'd be really cool if we could, though. Yeah, it could. Ooh, I wonder if there's a wonder drug in there. Yeah. What if there's a jelly bean? Probably. You can try it. Okay. <laughs> okay, so verse 12. For a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But all of this is from God. So that's interesting. So let me go ahead and read this in a different um, translation. Maybe that would help you as well. All right, what translation? Um, We'll do ESV. Why not? ESV? Okay. Yep. For, and they say, for as the woman originates from man, so also the man has, <laughs> um, the man, oh my gosh, they're screwing it up again. Okay, so they say, for as the woman originates from the man, so also the man, in italics, has his birth through the woman, and also, and all things originate from God. Um, yeah, it's, that's probably what he has in mind, birth, but it kind of, um, takes away some of the origination symmetry, I think. Um, basically the big idea is that what we had before um when we had the um he showed kind of the created the creation order and i don't mean literal 
Um, I, th- I mean this more literally. Adam was created the first. Se- the sequence of creation. Yeah. Or the chronology of creation. And then woman was created from Adam. That was the order that we had before. Um, now, complementarians sometimes t- make a lot of that and say, um, since Adam was the firstborn, um, first created, that he has leadership and priority. Um, you won't find that in the Genesis narrative, and there's actually quite a bit um, of a pattern of God using the secondborn. Um, we'll come to that when we cover Genesis. But basically here in this verse, um, the order is reversed. Hmm. So he's essentially relativizing this order, um, possibly in case someone wants to make something of it, and then saying it all comes from God. So yeah. yes, earlier the order was women come from men, but now he's saying, well, all men come from women, and they all come from God. And you also have an interesting Christological idea here. In verse 11, uh, man and woman isn't separate from woman in the Lord. And then in verse 12, you have, and uh, everything comes from God. So you have kind of Lord and God kind of being hmm. used uh, in a similar way here, which is interesting oh, too. Oh, yes. High Christology, oh, you just, might say. Just maybe, you know, just maybe. <laughs> All right, so verse 13 through 14. Oh, just to sum up, verse mm. 3, the, the head language and the head imagery is qualified. We now know what that means. It's source or origination language, that mm. one comes from the other. That's right. And no, none gets to claim priority over the other, especially in the factious, like, fric- fric- frictionist? Fr- the friction nature. <laughs> I can't talk anymore. That jelly bean is really weird. Uh, the, the, the splitting of, of people, you know, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. That is basically being undone, and Paul is continuing that attack or assault on that type of mentality, that separationist mentality. You're all one in Christ, essentially, is what I'm saying. I still can't verb anymore. You know what? I'm thinking we should not have done the jelly beans before this passage. It threw off our game. I can't verb anymore. Anyway, so verse uh, 13 through verbing 13, 16. You can just revel in our misery. Yes. But we will have fun with this passage. So, uh, judge within yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God? With her hair let down? Does not the very nature of the things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? This is because long hair is given her as a covering. Yeah, so isn't it obvious? Isn't it nat- <laughs> Isn't it by nature? Um, yeah, no, it's not obvious that a man having longer hair is a disgrace. For them it is. For well, us. Okay, yeah, so um, in... Ancient thinking, um, nature is oftentimes conflated with culture. Mm-hmm. So he's actually appealing to cultural norms. Perspectival reality. Yeah, yep. he's trying to appeal to what they know already. He's they not, already accept this. They already know this. He's not trying to make a complex argument about why um, length of hair has something to do with the created order. Um, not really. It's not about the length of hair. It's really about, in this culture... This is how women wore their hair done up um, in long braids. Men didn't. Men who did, um, oftentimes I think it was um, connected to cult, uh, temple prostitution. Effeminacy, generally. Um, sometimes it's specifically connected to homosexuality. And so he's trying to say none of this. That's, that's the big thing that he's against. He's not okay with um, swapping... Um, genders or trying to like nudge out the other gender or blurring the distinction between men and women last verse if anyone wants to be contentious we the churches of god have no such custom 
So there it is. Um, he's basically saying um, in the, the route we take in translation that if anyone wants to quip a bit more, um, just know the Christian churches don't have any custom like what uh, problems he's addressing. Um, this is just not how Paul envisions um, mutuality, the role of men and women in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that covers a good broad spectrum of things. And in this passage, it's primarily mostly about, I would say, um, sexuality and sexual expression. Yeah, or identity and how, how the genders interrelate with one another, especially yeah. in marriage. Yeah, and it's and maybe we can um, talk about this more. Um, <laughs> so here's the tricky thing about all this. We were going to troll you and just never cover what the whole passage is about because of the angels yep that's the only thing clear in the whole passage in terms of what like because there's so many metaphors and um different little things and minds to dodge but we know it's because of the angels yep. verse 10 on account of the angels or because yep. of the angels and we don't know what it means really um i my my thinking um in this because it deals a lot with the image of god and basically your responsibility to god and others to um, basically value the other in your everyday life. Um, and in this case, in the way you dress, in the way you um, portray yourself. Um, and it's not just about uh, looks, really. Yeah. This is going deeper into the heart and into um, what you're communicating um, about yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think because of the angels is referring to maybe the angels are the heavenly messengers. Hmm. And so it's kind of being wary of the presence of God. Um, the angels, and it's like the, these angels are watching you. So basically yeah. it's God it, God sees what you do. Or it's kind of like you're entertaining angels when you worship. Yeah, oh. and it's not meant to be like a, um, a oh no, you know, God's going to smash me from the sky. It's more in terms of just having a reverence and um, being aware that, uh, God and his presence and his knowledge is all around you and to live into the life that he's given you as an yeah. image bearer. Yeah, and this actually is one of the more empowering parts of the text, the verse 10, because it's the woman exercising authority over her head. Craig Kuhner argues that the head here actually refers to her husband, which is interesting. I don't know if I buy that. But the idea of a woman or the woman exercising authority or having the authority over, over her own head means she's a equal and independent interdependent participant in in worship worship and prophecy and so this is a far from being a symbol of authority or male headship it's the woman being and fully engaged in the worship ceremony yeah and some of the translations can be a little deceptive like um authority over her head uh, might sound like um oh it's a symbol of male authority over her head and so again it depends on the translation i would look at a couple um look at pains look at the ceb Um, Look at the ESV, um, look at the NIV, just look around, notice some of the differences, notice some of the um, different routes you could take. And to make matters worse, this whole thing is probably a giant chiasm. Oh, gosh. Yeah, which means um, essentially you can match what comes um, before with what comes after and like Mm. and on and on and on and on into the center. And the one center is because of the angels. So I'm not going to get into that chiasm business. You can try to figure it out. Here's a clue. 
um, when I talked about when we talked about the head and the ordering of the um, different people, um, Adam, you know, to woman, um, the order is reversed with the source relationship. So eh, read through it and see if you can match the things that kind of match on yeah. the other side. But the, the main point of the text, you know, from three, yeah. from verse two to verse ten, is summed up in verse eleven to twelve. Nevertheless, or the primary point that Paul is making, these two are not separate from one another. So the idea is not a, a, a male pastor up there the entire time preaching and the woman is serving tea. It's the relationship between men and women is far too complicated and far too God-given and good for that to be the point of the passage. Yeah. Yeah, I think if anything, the takeaway we can um, have from this is um, here, I think diversity and interdependence is what's being emphasized. Men and women are different. Um, they were, It was good that they were created, um, man and woman, ish and isha. That's wonderful. You know, don't try to blur those. Don't try to erase the other, um, embrace the other Yeah, you're, you're, as your compliment. Exactly. You find yourself in the other. It's not as if you want to be the other. The other is what gives gravitas to who you already are. Yes. And, uh, and, and that sort of mentality of of, of mutuality and diversity, of, uh, of empowering the other, of seeing the other as your glory, as someone who is worthy of respect and honor in, in the church or in the assemblies. And for a guy, that's, for me, that's quite empowering because I get to look at, at a female pastor and be like, that is the glory of God right there, giving me the word on Sundays or on Thursday nights or Wednesday nights. And she's not stuck just giving me tea at the end of it, although I do like tea. I could use some tea right now. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Better <laughs> beans. Yeah, I got still. I still have a taste of barf in the back. Of yeah, the, like, and we didn't yeah. get a good one. No, none. Of, none of us got a good one. Like that's the worst part about this. None of us got a good jelly bean. So basically, our our entire podcast has been us complaining about the jelly beans and. Darn it! Jelly beans are evil, and the beer still doesn't wash the taste out of my mouth. I just. Ugh, it's been forty five minutes. I'm actually but, good now. You're so. actually good. Well, then maybe you've won this one. <laughs> So what text are we going to talk I about? Won. What text are we thinking of discussing next week? Um, so I was thinking in light of some of the current events that's hap- that have happened, um, people are just going nuts over the election and other things. And of course, in this background is um, sexism and accusations of sexism and people, um, you know, women rightly wanting to insist um on equality um i we don't agree with all the things that they um would espouse um no but let's just say everyone's gone nuts and i think something that's in order is a good discussion on how do we live as christians in the context of sexism and nick and i will share some of our stories on um experiences that we've had um things that we've handled well Things that maybe we didn't handle well. Mostly for me. I didn't handle this. Oh, I wouldn't say that. But anyway, um, I think, and maybe even things that we would have done in hindsight. And so. So sexism and kind of the present, the present experience of sexism, but also chartering a way forward. Yes. And yeah, the big thing is how do we live as Christians, as egalitarians? Um, And so. I think after that, then we can go back to 1 Corinthians 14, but it just seemed a little bit more urgent. 
especially in light of the the march and it basically you get online and get on the internet and it's always something insane going on and there's no respite or nor no uh nuanced dialogue about the issues that really matter it's you're either evil or you're uh, the pinnacle of virtue. Yeah. <laughs> or assumed, assumed virtue. Well, just because... I'm the pinnacle of virtue. It's those other people that are pure evil. Yeah, it's the ontology of, of pure virtue. You, you're, you're a woman, therefore you're virtuous. Yeah, or, and we're not here like to that. take political sides. We're not going to be discussing pros and cons. Um, or, I know, I, <laughs> the, I'm laughing or- as I'm saying of it. Of the orange god king. <laughs> yes, right. I'll bow down. Um, yes. Yes. So, <laughs> so next time we will be talking about essentially it's about current events, but about the broader idea of sexism in the church and how we all relate to it, how we suck at changing it, and how ultimately we kind of need one another to dialogue through it. Okay, and so recommendations. Recommendations. Um, so first, um, I would like to recommend because it's coming up soon. There's a CBE conference that's Christians for Biblical Equality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called Mutual by Design, Building God's Church Together. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. And it's actually going to be on 1 Corinthians 11, 11 through 12. Oh, snap. We didn't plan this at all. <laughs> we didn't. But, yeah. I mean, it was bound to come up because yeah. it's coming up in July 21st through 23rd. Of this year. So, yeah. 2017. And it's going to be in Orlando, Florida, near Disney World, I believe. Oh, sweet. So, bring your kids. Jeez. <laughs> wow. That sounds like an advertisement. <laughs> Bring your children to Disney. No, we're not paid. No. That would be cool if we were. I so mean, if anyone wants to pay us, uh, we'll think about it. <laughs> the, the jelly beans, you know, are just a part of our marketing ploy to really yes. make people love us. Yes. Yes. Love so, us. So, so who's going to be at this conference real quick? I'm curious. Yeah. So, uh, and this, you know, I'll go through the two that are going to cover First Corinthians first. Um, so Gristle Medina is actually going to cover our... Um, the bulk of our theme verse and in its context and relate it to how we treat others. Um, Mike Bird is actually going to cover um, the Trinity. Basically, the Trinity again is, um, oh no, not again, is kind of how I think the um, the sentiment is. Let's see, what does he have? The title is The Invasion of the Homoians? Homoians. Oh, Trinity and Gender again. Oh no. Oh no. Wah, yeah. wah, wah. So, I mean... Everyone wants to keep saying hierarchy in the Trinity and somehow um, make it related to gender. And it really shouldn't be in the gender discussion, um, but it is. I and think so... the worst part about this is where's the Holy Spirit in this? Like, <laughs> Holy Spirit is kind of like, you know, the appendix of this. We kind of cut it out and just leave it, you know? Well, that's dark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some other people that are going to be there that I'm excited about. Ben Witherington is going to be there. Oh, um, and I think he's going to be talking about um, women and their roles in the New Testament. And even, like, uh, social identities of early Christians. So, oh, that's awesome. Um, that's going to be great. Um, Joy Moore From is Fuller? going to be there. Oh, yep. that's cool. So I'm excited about that. And you should be, too. There's a lot of other people that are going to be presenting. Um, Ron Pierce will present on First Corinthians 7. Um, we did that earlier. He's much better than we are, so I think you would like it. Um, there's There's so many. I can't just pick one. Um, there's going to be people, so topically, um, there's going to be stuff done on human trafficking, abuse. Um, there's going to be stuff on empowerment. There's going to be stuff on the Bible and exegesis. Philip Payne will be there and doing a Q&A session on Paul. So you don't want to miss that. Um, yeah, so too many good things. So you better come. 
Um, but beyond that, book resources, Nick, um, which ones would you recommend for this passage? I mean, it goes without saying, Philip Payne spends over 100 pages on this one text, and it's the most exacting exegesis I've ever read. I agree with about 90% of it, 95% of it. As far as commentaries, Anthony Thistleton gives kind of a, a very middle-of-the-road kind of commentary on this text, but I think the best commentary I've read on this, and it's the one commentary I've always read, almost as if it's a novel, is Gordon Fee's commentary mm. on 1 Corinthians, and I know he's going through Alzheimer's right now, and it's it's just a, it's an absolute tragedy, but this this manifesto, this uh, gift to the church is, is a wonderful text, and he really judiciously works through this text in a very empowering and intelligent way, and so that's that's a that's my big recommendation is Gordon Fee's commentary and I look forward to meeting him one day. Yeah, and one you might want to check out too, uh, Cynthia Westfall's new book, um, Paul and Gender. Mm. Um, she has an interesting take on First Corinthians eleven. Um, she even had I think she discusses a bit on this idea of priority with women and yep. um, that's maybe another discussion um, or for you to read on your own. It's a cheap book too. It's a really good book. It's yeah. really good. I don't agree with everything, but it's really good. Well, it's hard to agree with everything <laughs> with, no, when true. it's a passage that's like true. this. That's true. Yeah. Although I generally agree almost 100% with Philip Payne. I was reading I Mike, must say. I was reading Mike Bird's Kindle book, and it's actually really good, too. Like, for 50 or 100, I think, I can't remember how long it is. It's, it's short, but he covers everything in a really entertaining way, and it's a really solid little book, too. Yeah, and it's actually a spoof off of... Um, John Rice's book, I think? Yeah, I read it. Um, Bob Tear, Bossy Wives, and Female Preachers. You actually read the original book? Yes, I did. Oh, you... Well, you know what? That's like one, a jelly bean in your brain. Basically. One day, one of these days, maybe we'll read disturbing little gems from some of the fun little pieces I've read. That'll be an appendix episode where we just read horrible sexist things. Or maybe, you know, under Book Corner. Oh, God. I read John MacArthur's book today. Let me tell you about how angry and sad yep. I am now. Oh, how we will have declined. All right, so uh, <laughs> so we have Westfall, we have Fee, and so next time pain. we'll talk about, and pain, of course, can't forget pain. And so next time we'll talk about sexism in the church and our response or responses to it. Yep, and again, shout out to the Christians for Biblical Equality Conference. Um, you can check it out at cbeinternational.org. And the final thing, rate us, review us, give us five stars on iTunes. Share this on uh, Twitter and all that sort of stuff. If you give us a five-star review, we will read the entire thing, unless it includes the thing, in which case I will not read it. Cause... I think we have to edit out one of yours after eating jelly bean. No, no, that, that's done.